0: Bibles today to the book of Revelation, chapter nineteen. This summer we started uh, a series on Revelation. Somebody said the other day, at the rate you're going, pastor, it's going to take us forever to get through Revelation. And so I'm going to surprise you today, and tell you that this is our last message from Revelation. We're going to uh, go almost to the end of the story, chapter 19, and talk about actually the theme of the book—the triumphal second coming of Christ. But before we read anything in Revelation chapter 19, there are just uh, two verses I'd like to read and like for you to look at with me and. Revelation 18. The first one is verse number 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys her merchandise anymore. Chapters 16, 17, and 18 talks about the, uh, the destruction of the world religiously and the destruction of the world commercially. Uh, this world runs on a commercial track. Uh, Everybody is buying and selling from somewhere else. One of of these days, that'll all be over. And the merchants, those who are in business, will be out of business. God is putting them out of business. And uh, look at verse 18 of chapter 18. And they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city you know the world's evil system one of these days is going to go up in smoke Uh, the religious world somebody said to me the other day you know I'm turned off with organized religion I think most people that know the Bible are too Uh, organized religion without Christ is going to pass away just like everything else uh, the economy of the world is uh, not going to become depressed. It's going to go out of business. That's why John, who is the author of Revela- uh, Revelation, when he was writing in First John, uh, said this, "...love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life... Is not of the Father, but is of of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he that does the will of God remains forever. And so everything around us is passing away, and one of one of these days it will be gone. You know, we get a little uh, hiccup, so to speak, whenever the stock market goes down a little bit, or some big company goes out of business. Uh, you noticed in your Sunday courier my mother in September, on September 12th would be 98 years old. And here a while back she was telling me that she remembers the uh, the beginning of the Great Depression. She remembers the day that her father, Harry Brown, they lived in Connellsville, Pennsylvania, came home and told the family that uh, they had lost all their money in the bank. Uh, and uh, how things drastically changed for about 10 years in America after that. October 29th, 1929 was known as Black Tuesday. Whenever you book, read the book of Revelation, and I think this is one reason why people don't necessarily like to read it, is because it's worse than Black Tuesday. It's the end. It's God pulling the plug. The power is shut off. Uh, the economic world... Uh, doesn't falter, it collapses and goes up in smoke because of the judgment of God. Uh, But you know, in, in a roundabout way, this is what God's people have been praying about for a long time. I want to remind you of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9. Let's look it up here on the screen. Let's read it together, okay? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's go back to the first part of uh, of that prayer. Look at this. The Lord is teaching His disciples to pray and we're to address the Father and who, whose home is heaven, His name is holy above all names. And uh, the first uh, request here is, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we have been praying, sometimes unaware, unbeknownst to us, uh, for these events to transpire in the book of Revelation. Whenever Jesus comes the second time, in, uh, the Bible says, every eye will see him. Uh, and he's coming to set up his kingdom and to answer your prayer that you prayed so many times, even as a little kid. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so here we find all of this beginning to unfold. Now, God's timing is ready. You know, recently I had the opportunity, and I seldom ever have an opportunity like this, uh, to share the message of Jesus the Messiah with three Jewish people, not together, but but separately. And uh, I've mentioned to you before that in the Old Testament, there are two streams of of Messianic prophecy. The one stream, the church of Jesus Christ on earth, is very familiar with, and that, and we talk about it all the time because it is the essence of the gospel. It is the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ, and He is coming as a suffering servant. Uh, let's look at, and um, we have this up here, Daniel chapter 9, verse... 26 let's read this together and after the 62 weeks messiah shall be cut off but not for himself now we have 2020 vision because hindsight is 2020 isn't it and we look at that verse and we say of course we know the messiah we believe the messiah is jesus and he was cut off but he wasn't cut off for himself was he he was cut off for you and cut off for me and so, uh, when uh, Jewish people read the Old Testament prophecies, they see it through their paradigm and their perspective. We see it through ours. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 is an interesting verse. Let's read this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Now, that's the first stream of prophecy. The second is the stream of the king. And, of course, they were reading this and they were hoping that Jesus was going to present himself as their king and liberate them from the bondage of Rome. That one of those verses in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Let's read this. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. That's what they were looking for. Let's look at chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 1. After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. I've underlined the word Hallelujah because that's an important word. It means, as you know, praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Now, this is a scene in heaven. And uh, the interesting thing about this whole thing, chapter 18 and chapter 19, is the tremendous uh, disparity, difference between people's attitudes on earth when the Lord comes back to judge the earth and people's attitudes in heaven. They are mourning and crying on earth because they are losing everything they have invested their life in. And in heaven, people are rejoicing. They're saying hallelujah. Look at verse 2. For true and righteous are your judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. I've underlined the word avenged. Now, those of you who read the New Testament on a regular basis know that Christians are not supposed to be revengeful people. When somebody does something to us, our uh, response is to to be, I forgive you, not I'm looking to get you. I'll get you back. Here the Lord comes back to avenge her blood, on her the blood of his servants. Verse 3. And again, they said, hallelujah. Boy, that sounds great. The Lord is going to make things right. Uh, God is going to balance the books. He always has and he always will. They said, hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. You know, in our world, people love to believe in annihilation. That means that when you die, you're gone. Uh, When I die, I'm gone. It's over. There's nothing more beyond that. But here the Bible says that God's judgment is going to be forever and forever. It's going to continue on. Uh, and the 24 elders, and remember those were the representatives of the Old Testament and New Testament, and the four living angelic beings, fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying amen and what? Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. How many people will be in heaven? Uh, A great multitude. As the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Wow. Drop down to verse 11. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Jesus came the first time, not on a white horse, but on a little donkey. And that was a picture of his humility, Uh, but uh, this white horse is a picture of his victory. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, we've heard that before, haven't we? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. His name is the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Him on white horses. Uh, You are a part of the army of God. And in this army, the good news is you won't have to do any fighting. It's like a spectator army. But you will have to do some riding, for which I am dismayed. Because you've heard me tell stories about my experience with horses. But I think the Lord is kind of raising up just one little old white pony up there for me. And he's going to tell all of you to get on that big white horse and say, Pastor John, you get on that little pony. He won't hurt you. The armies in heaven clothed in white linen, white and clean followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. All of heaven praises God. While the earth is going up in smoke, people in heaven are, pray, are praising God with the word hallelujah. Uh, that's one of those words that we call universal words. Uh, it's made up of two Hebrew words, Hallel and yah, which means praise Jehovah or Yahweh. Uh, It's universal. In Latin, it's hallelujah. In Greek, it's hallelujah. In Hebrew, it's hallelujah. In Spanish, it's hallelujah. In French, it's hallelujah. In German, it's hallelujah. If you ever travel abroad and get stuck in a foreign country, just yell hallelujah. (laughs) And people come running to your aid and they'll say, God will probably send a believer to you to help you out in your dilemma. It's a universal word. He's coming to avenge his servants. Finally, uh, he is coming. Second uh, Peter, boy, that is so good. Let's turn back there, leap back with me uh, a few pages to Second Peter chapter three. You know, I, I I know that you know that uh, Christianity is becoming more marginalized in our country, and uh, people are publicly scoffing at Christians and their principles, and that's uh, predicted in the Bible. Look at Second Peter chapter three verse three. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. And saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, the church goes out and tells people, The Lord is coming back again, and people say, Ah, get a life. The church has been saying that forever. Everything is always the same, the world has always been bad. Uh, People are scoffing the church today. They say we're clinging to our Bibles. For this they will willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved. Look at this. The heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word. God created the world and he's preserved the world. He keeps it all running. By the same word, the world is also reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, I love that verse, because that explains so much, doesn't it? You know, here we have our calendars at home. And how many people here live by your calendar? If you lose your calendar, you're dead. All right, raise your hand. Yeah, so I do too. It's like sometimes I don't look at it and then I'm dead anyway. Because it's the same thing as losing your calendar, right? If you don't read it. But you know, we, we, we chalk it off and we say, Okay, uh, August 25th, the Lord didn't come back again. August 26th, the Lord didn't come back. And we, we keep going like that. God has one big calendar up there. 1,000 years when we're down here doing this. Uh, God doesn't really function on our time schedule, on our calendar. Um, but this world is preserved by God for judgment. Uh, look at verse 9. I love this. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise to return, as some count slackness, but as long-suffering to us, were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, He's coming back one of these days uh, in His time to avenge His servants. And He's coming back uh, to punish the world and its people. And the smoke, the Bible says, will be forever and ever. The Scripture, and we just read it back there in uh, Revelation 19, also refers to the marriage of the Lamb. Uh, Christ uh, is the Lamb and the church is the bride. And one of these days, the Lord is coming back Uh, to be completely united with his bride. I was reading a commentary on this, and the commentator said that back during that time, there were three stages to a wedding. First of all, there was a legal agreement by the parents. In many countries, uh, marriages are set up by parents. And it's not all that bad, because in their countries, it seems to work pretty good. Uh, We used to have in our church an Indian couple from India, Uh, And uh, they were checking out. The boy would come home and say, Hey, I think I like this girl. And the dad would say, Whoa, we've got to check her out. We have to do a a check on this whole family. And boy, they've run through all the checks. And if all the checks passed, then then they take it to the next step. But in the New Testament, there was a legal agreement by the parents. Uh, That was the first thing. And then after all of that was worked through, uh, the bridegroom would come for his bride, and then there was a marriage supper. Remember, Jesus was called to the marriage supper in John chapter 2. And so uh, Bible scholars seem to be in agreement today that that, uh, that legal contract uh, God is filling out with every single believer that comes into the family of God today, and he is completing phase one legally. Uh, justification is a legal thing. It really is. Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever uh, we are saved, we don't become literally on earth righteous. Uh, but uh, spiritually, in the sight of God, we do. And uh, the word is called justification. And you've heard definitions of it before. Just as though we had never what? Sinned. And justification means to be declared righteous. God takes your name, writes beside your name. I legally declare you righteous. You are declared in my eyes forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. And uh, the Lord is completing phase number one today. He is... Uh, he's comprising people that are coming to him into the church as his bride, and and whenever the rapture takes place, phase number two is going to take place, he's coming to claim his bride. And in Revelation chapter nine it says that the bride was arrayed in fine linen, that's verse number eight. And that linen is the righteousness there of the saints. The good deeds done with the right motives. And, and this is so interesting to me because here we find the church. The church is dressed in white. And that refers to simplicity and purity. Uh, it's quite different, uh, the, uh, the array of the world, so gaudy and so expensive. And, but the church is so plain and so simple and so pure. It's interesting. All that is in the book of Revelation. Uh, in verse number eleven uh, it 's time for the coming of Christ. Heaven is open. Christ appears on a white horse. His coming is visible. Remember in Acts chapter one, verse eleven, when he ascended into heaven, they said, "This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, will come again, even as you have seen him taken into heaven he 's coming visibly and In Revelation 1.7, the Bible says, every eye will see Him when He comes in power. Uh, He comes on a white horse. There is another white horse in Revelation, Revelation 6.2. And I believe that that's the horse uh, that the Antichrist rides into town on. He pretends to be the Christ. Uh, He inflicts upon humanity the mark of the beast, which is what? six. Six, And that mark is imprinted either on the forehead or on the hand. Uh, here Christ comes on a white horse. And uh, we find some different names for him here. Uh, let's look at them. Faithful and true. You know, the wonderful thing about the Lord is this, that he is always faithful, he is always there. He never gives up. I don't think he ever gives up on you. I I think that he should. And I'll put myself in that category before you get too offended. I think whenever the Lord looks at me and you, I think he should give up on us. Because sometimes we are pretty pitiful, aren't we, as a disciple of the Lord. But he doesn't. He is faithful to us when we are unfaithful to him. He uh, turns our unfaithfulness around and displays faithfulness to us, and He is true. He is always true. Jesus is the truth, isn't He? And in righteousness, He judges and makes war. Uh, Righteousness simply means He does it the right way. He does it with the right motives. He does it correctly. You know, you and I have lived to see many miscarriages of justice, haven't we, in our world? We have seen high-profile trials where the perpetrator of the of the act somehow, some way, got off. That won't happen when Jesus comes again. Uh, he's coming in righteousness to judge and make war, and uh, and it will be correctly done because He knows the human heart. Uh, he is He is called in verse number thirteen the Word of God. His eyes are so penetrating and on his head are many crowns, uh, one crown after another. That denotes his tremendous power. And uh, one of the things that uh, interests me here is the fact that it said that he had a name, that's in verse 12, written that no one knew except himself. And someone has suggested that, uh, you know, there are not enough names to describe who God really is. You know, we have so many of them in the Bible. You know, we could just go on and on. There are like hundreds of them, names and titles of God. Uh, But there just isn't enough of them to really describe the greatness and the depth and who God really is. Uh, He's greater than any description or expression the human mind can devise. But here the Bible says there is a secret name. And uh, this could denote, and I think it does, that you and I are going to learn new things in heaven. Uh, We're not going to arrive there completely put together. And there are names yet to be learned in heaven of the Lord. And uh, this is going to be all part of what we do and how we worship God. Uh, He comes with His armies, and uh, the Bible says... He has this robe on and it's dipped in blood. You know, the Lord has uh, executed judgment through the years on on the human race. And He he already has blood splattered on His vesture. And so He comes again uh, not as the one who is forgiving of sin with that blood, but as one who comes to to exact more blood for those who have mocked Him and those who have not believed in His Son who is the only way to heaven. His uh, vesture is dipped in blood. And He has this sword and out of His mouth goes a sharp sword that with it He should smite the nations. Uh, And He's going to rule them with a rod of iron. The sword of the Lord. That's His word. All He has to do is speak it. Speak the word. took the world into existence. Uh, he uh, superintends the world as it, it flings its way uh, through the atmosphere. And all he has to do is speak the word, and his enemies are destroyed. Uh, verse number 17 through verse number 19 is the battle of Armageddon. And we're not, we, we can't do that today. But the Bible says in Revelation sixteen fourteen there are three evil spirits. Uh, that are That cause all the rulers of the world to gather for battle against the Lord, now just think of this: uh, what is behind all this evilness and wickedness and all these nations fighting each other uh, evil spirits that 's what 's behind it. evil spirits and evil men uh, evil men being willing to be moved by evil spirits. But in this last day, when the battle of Armageddon comes, these evil spirits will go out and move on the hearts of evil rulers to gather together against Jerusalem and against the Lord. Can you imagine these world leaders picking up their red phones saying, Hey, listen, meet us in Israel because we want to fight God Almighty. And on the other end of the line... The leader of that world says, we'll be there. We hate God. We want to fight God. And around the world, and this is why we get a little so apprehensive whenever Russia rattles its chain. And when China rattles its chain and Iran and Egypt and, and, and all of these other nations, they begin to come against Israel. Israel is a magnet Because Israel really has and always will be the center of God's spot on earth. And so there is this tremendous hatred of Israel because uh, they are so blatant to say that there is only one God. And the world hates that because the world wants everything to be God. The world wants everything that they have to be God. But Israel stands up and says, Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so uh, the battle of Armageddon is going to be that final climactic display of rebellion against God. But there's a lot of good news here. Look at verse 20 of Revelation 19. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, that's the Antichrist, the beast, who worked signed in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Goodbye. Verse 21, And the rest were killed with a sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat upon the throne. All these armies coming together to fight against God Almighty are going to be completely obliterated by the Lord. And then he says all the birds were filled with their flesh. Not a pretty picture. Uh, And so, you know, we uh, we get a little discouraged as a Christian because we think... You know, just the world is so evil and it comes against us and it, it almost like pushes us over, it almost mows us over and we feel like, what good are we really doing in the world? And we almost get the impression that the enemy is winning this whole thing. And that's why it's so important for us to have the last book of the Bible. Because uh, the, the last book of the Bible says, listen, the enemy is not winning this thing. God is. And he and we are on his side and that's the good side to be on, isn't it? And there may be a few times where sin and all of its forces push us down but I'll tell you what with God as our helper we come right back up. And as we make our way through this world we take a few people with us to enjoy the presence of heaven. And uh, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus. Just one glimpse. Of his dear face. All sorrow. Will erase. It will be worth it all. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today. I wonder. I wonder if you are here today and maybe you've never made provision, spiritual provision. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior yet. I'd like to invite you to do that this morning in this church. Get on the winning side. Listen, you if you follow the devil, it's all over. It's curtains for you. Uh, because God is going to do away with him and everyone who follows him. And so it does take a conscience a conscious decision to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Can you do that today? Confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that He's alive and ask Him to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins and align yourself behind Him. I'd like to give you that opportunity today. You don't have to walk down the aisle. You just have to open your heart to Christ and say, Lord, I'm wrong. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and maybe you haven't been walking like it. Maybe you forgot your roots. Maybe you made a decision or two along the line and you had all the good intentions of the world, but uh, things haven't turned out the way you thought they would in the beginning. I want to invite you to rededicate your life to Christ today. You might say, Pastor, you don't know how hard that is. Listen, nothing is impossible with God. God will forgive you. God will give you a new chance. He'll walk with you from this day forward if you mean business with God. God. We're going to have an invitation. And if you'd like to make a decision for Christ. I want to invite you to come and kneel here at the altar. And just say Lord. Meet me in my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Save me. I want to be a disciple of you. I want to be in your army. I know you're so righteous. You're so good. I want to follow you. Dear Lord meet, meet us today. As we, uh, as we prepare for the invitation. Help us to see you dying upon the cross for our sins. And Lord, help us to return our love to you because of this. Give us freedom in the church to come and pray. To pray for ourselves or pray for somebody that we love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.